It is now time for Inside Bill's Mind with Bill Chase. And now, here he is, the man who once paid for the free lap dance, Bill Chase. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Podcast Announcer, and welcome to Inside Bill's Mind, the podcast where I discuss whatever is on my mind today. We got wrestling. We got uh, Butch Reed, of course, regarding wrestling. Of course, sadly, he passed away this past week. Uh, the late actor Christopher Plummer, what an extraordinary career he has had. The not-so-Super Bowl, which is uh, again just took place earlier tonight, and adventures on stupidity and social media. So, the Royal Rumble. What a show it was. I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. The Women's Rumble... Um, again, I'm glad that they pulled the trigger on somebody who was not an established star yet. Again, neither was Yokozuna. And uh, watch that special, by the way. And so Bianca Belair, again, I was, I was as a fan, I was cheering for Rhea Ripley. Uh, but again, she made it to the end. And as long as, you know, whatever. Bianca Belair is someone they've been building up a little bit. And you know what? It's it's different. It's fresh. It's new. I don't, so I'm not going to, I don't mind it. Uh, Edge winning. Here's the thing about Edge. Okay, and I'm a huge Edge fan. Now, I like the fact that, despite some of the issues I've had with WWE in uh, in terms of you know the way their television has become really uninteresting, it has nothing to do with the talent, by the way, for the most part. It has nothing really to do with the talent. Um, Edge and Orton. I'm glad you know they were able to just kind of wrap that up. Again, good story. They told you, yes, it was predictable Orton was coming back into the match. But for a split second, I thought Orton might win. So it served its purpose. And then they had the match on Raw. Edge wins, and eh, there you go. Edge can move on. And here's the beauty of Edge as a performer. And I have to say this. My God, he made every possible scenario for WrestleMania, be it Raw, SmackDown, NXT... He made me want to see every one of those matches. <laughs> I'm not I, like that's the, the beauty of him as a performer, such a pro. But that being said, out of all three, I want to see him and Roman. After yeah, that was the best one. They were all great, but that was the best one. I want to see him and Roman. And yes, there are some fans out there that are whining about how Edge won. Oh, he's a part timer. He's this. He's that. Well, hey, he's not really a part timer. Edge even said he'll be on. Uh, he'll go to TV when they need him. If they need him on TV, he says he'll be there. Now, this is a kind of segging into another thing I was thinking about. I never truly believe that a large group of toxic wrestling fans that's been referred to today exist. I thought people were exaggerating. Like, yeah, there are some fans who are like that, but whatever. Fandom of everything pretty much has some toxicity in it. So I just kind of shrugged it off. But then, being on social media so much, because, you know, I work from home, so much recently, I see it more and more. Especially in the Facebook groups I'm in. It's getting worse. Maybe that's just in my bubble it's getting worse. But whatever. It still looks bad. Oh, AEW does this, but WWE... Also, AEW does this. Okay, when WWE does it, it's not. And back and forth. You know what I'm getting with this. They say the opposite thing, too. And they do this, and they argue with it, and they don't make any point. They don't change anyone's mind. It's just going in circles. So, yes, that kind of fandom does exist. But I go back to what CM Punk said. I'm going to zero in here on the so-called Wednesday Night War. Okay, this is so freaking contrived in so many ways. 
CM Punk pointed this out in during his Q and A. Well, not was really a Q and A. It was more a seminar, like not even really a seminar, I guess, because he wasn't teaching anything about wrestling. But it was an interview that Mike Johnson of uh, Pro Wrestling Insider uh, conducted with Punk, and it was at Starcast, uh, Starcast Three. So it was really well put together. Uh, Punk really addressed a lot of issues. Didn't beat around the bush about anything. That's what I always liked about him. He mentioned how let let you know let them think they're in a war or whatever, but you all get to reap the benefits and don't have to take a side because you're going to watch both shows. And yeah, he's right. He is absolutely right. But wrestling fandom—that's what it's becoming these days—is something like this. And no, it's not a majority. I'm going to say, I should specify. I should say, wrestling fandom zeroed in on social media groups is what it's becoming. It's not in general, thank God. It's still a small group, but one that I see quite often. Also, on the subject of of Bad Bunny as well, okay. On a personal level, as a 37-year-old, nearly 38-year-old man, I don't get it. But I don't think I'm his target audience, or at least... That's what I gathered. Same time, though, he is famous. He does have a very large following. I don't have problems with celebrities in wrestling. It can be done well. It can be successful. And I was doing a watch-along in the Royal Rumble uh, with a few, uh, couple local uh, independent wrestlers and uh, a few others. And Kingdom James, he pointed out something really really valid. That one of his, and I almost forgot about I didn't forget about it because it wasn't memorable. I just, it just slipped my mind, I guess. Kevin Federline. I can't stand him. But at least they used him where the fact that I can't stand him because he's a heel. So, of course, it's going to be even better. I want to see Cena kick his ass. <laughs> and from what I heard, apparently Federline did well. Apparently people liked him backstage and despite his somewhat douchey persona on, you know, in public, whatever. It could have been just a persona. Maybe he really is a douche. I don't know. I never met him. But still, it, it, I just I, I couldn't stand his public persona, whether it was uh, an act or not. So I was again, and they used it effectively. They didn't try to make him likable. That's the thing. If they made him likable, I would have hated it. Or they tried to make him likable, I would have hated it. No, they knew he was unlikable, and they went with that. Why not? I enjoyed that. So yeah, Kevin Federline, very underrated uh, celebrity appearance. I, from what I remember, did pretty good ratings on Raw when him and Cena had their match. And it was the last big thing Federline did, because I think him and Britney Spears got divorced around that time. Might have even been the biggest thing Federline ever done outside of marrying Britney Spears. <laughs> but anyway. Moving on. <laughs> so yeah, my point is, I don't mind celebrities being involved in wrestling. It's been done really well on many occasions. I don't have an issue with it. Even if it's a celebrity I don't like, I don't have an issue with it. It is what it is. If I don't like it, I don't fucking watch it. I don't like Jersey Shore, but they used Snooki effectively in her role. It got eyes on the product, I suppose. But some people point out that this is the WWE uh, avenue, and it's something I point out too, uh, short-term solutions for long-term issues. And yeah, that could be it as well. The problem with them using celebrities sometimes is that it never really... Adds to it like that the new eyes on the on the product, they're not really giving them much reason to stay. It seems because it doesn't seem to work that way. It works temporarily, which again, if that's what they're going for, then fine, okay, more power to them. But 
to me, I was always told um, that if you're if, you, if there's a celebrity involved in wrestling, it is to get new eyes on the product. But not only to, for that moment, but to keep them there. Okay, Cindy Lauper did that. You know, you can even say Mr. T might have done that. But especially Cindy Lauper, I gotta give her I gotta give her even more credit than Mr. T. Not to say Mr. T Mr. T deserves a lot of credit too. I mean WrestleMania, come on. But Cindy Lauper was big for that lead into WrestleMania as well. And she was uh, appearing on WWE the WF television and it caused a huge buzz. Especially with the growing popularity of MTV at that time. Mike Tyson was effective on getting new eyes on the products and keeping it there. Because look how, how well the WWF did after that. I'm not saying it was all because of Tyson. Tyson got the eyes there. People see, oh, this Stone Cold Steve Austin guy. He's a badass. I talked to fans on message boards who were kind of like either just casual kind of wrestling fans that didn't really order pay-per-views and kind of just watch on TV if there's nothing on. But when they... one, I remember one specifically. It was about maybe four years ago even. He said that, you know, I was just kind of a in and out of wrestling. You know, I had guys I enjoyed, but I wasn't a diehard fan. Didn't go to shows and buy pay-per-views. Then I see Mike Tyson's going to be at WrestleMania. I see him Stone Cold shove him... Uh, or him shove Stone Cold on SportsCenter. On ESPN SportsCenter. And that got him to order WrestleMania. And then he's like, oh, I like this Stone Cold Steve Austin. He became a wrestling fan. You know what I mean? So that, to me, the if somebody serves its purpose that way, now, again, I hope Bat Bunny can do that. But that being said, it's up to the to present something to those new eyes on the product, not just in what Bad Bunny does, but in just the overall product. So again, I'm all for it if it helps them be successful. Whatever. Because it has worked in the past. Okay, so moving forward, um, Butch Reed... Uh, passed away sadly at the age of 66. Uh, a lot of fans around here where I'm living remember him as the natural Butch Reed. Uh, and very underwhelming, yet still people remember him uh, running the WF uh, back in the mid-80s. I understand it's underwhelming compared to a lot of what he did in his career. Uh, but again, he got on the WrestleMania 3 card. He uh, actually here in Hamilton, Ontario, when Hulk Hogan made his first appearance at Cops Coliseum. Sold out the place, 18,000 people. Uh, Butch Reed was who he faced. Yeah, so yeah, Butch had a few matches with Hogan. And so there you go. So he accomplished. He still accomplished something while he was there, even if it wasn't the most you know memorable run of his career. But it's still, he got something out of it at least. Probably a couple good paydays, I'm sure, working with Hogan, as many wrestlers did back then. Also, um, I have to say this too, uh, Butch Reed, and, and talk about great runs of his career. Mid South again. If you have the WWE Network, check out Mid South. He was a beast there. His persona, his microphone skills, his like the promos, his look, his natural charisma, his ability in the ring. He was amazing. I mean, maybe that's why they gave him the name, the natural in the WWF. Maybe some said it's because they tried to pass his blonde hair off as natural or whatever, because I guess that's, that's a joke Bobby Heenan tried to make on commentary once. But I digress. So anyway, he was just a natural, it seemed, at performing. You know, And again, it showed in Mid-South, especially his feud with Junkyard Dog, which was off the charts. My goodness. And it could have gone even further, but JYD had jumped. It did well in, in the time it was going on, but it could have gone even much further, had, but JYD had jumped to the WWF before it could really, you know... I, it had a few more miles left, but it, they, didn't, they didn't get to go there. Um... Again, his run in Florida, even before that, 
He had a really good run in Florida. Uh, he actually got a fight Ric Flair for the NWA Championship. That is an incredible match. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Those two had chemistry. I wish there was something more long-term with those two. It made you want to see more matches with them. Because I think that they could have shaken that up and taken that match all over the Florida Territory. Also, Butch, again, Central States. Central States is one of those territories that isn't heavily revered. It's known as one of the more, I don't want to say disgrace, that's, over, that's overstating it a bit, but more just not fondly, it's not looked back upon fondly by a lot of old-timers and a lot of a lot of uh, wrestlers from that era. But Butch, was. there were times where that territory had a bit of life injected into it by certain angles, certain workers. You know, it's it's even where Dewey Robertson got to be a heel for the first time, you know, have a really good heel run. So it has had its purpose. It's just served its purpose. But really, it was uh, him and Rufus R. Jones, the Soul Patrol. They had a nice little run there. It didn't last too long, but again, it was good for what it was. And of course, um, a lot of diehards remember, of course, the, the, the Team of Doom. The, uh, it was uh, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons under masks as tag team champions. They, oh, they won the tag team titles. They were unmasked. Uh, they were managed by women. They were managed by Teddy Long. Uh, all those combinations seemed to work. Their split up, they said, left a lot to be desired. But, you know, Ron got over big as a babyface as that, so it, again, it served a purpose. Uh, Butch kind of bounced around after that. Uh, had some shots on the Indies and whatnot uh, over the last several years, and I guess he has some heart issues, and sadly has passed away. So Butch Reed, very, very underappreciated, I think, in many circles. But um, definitely too many hardcore wrestling fans who are fan and, and territory fans, they remember him, and he made a significant impact on the wrestling business for, uh, I say, a decent amount of time. So now moving forward, we go to the not-so-Super Bowl. This game was a joke. An absolute joke. Now again, yet the officiating was absolutely pathetic. It was like it got to a point where in the second half, I'm thinking, if Tampa, I, was, I was waiting for a flag every time a Tampa receiver went down. Every time. Now, that, not that bit being said, now that being said, I'm not saying Kansas City would have won because, well, their offense was crap. And I'm not, that's not on Mahomes either. The offensive line, there's a lot of injuries there. Didn't help. Hill was, where the hell was he? I know he was double teamed, but still, I'm, I, I, I had a feeling he could at least break out with one big play. Um, the, the receivers were not getting open. It was just a bad night for their offense overall. Uh, but again, you never know how the course of a game changes when the other side isn't pr- producing either. And Casey's defense seemed to be doing their job. I found it convenient a lot of these happen on third down. I found it like, very convenient to happen on an interception play. I found it inconvenient that it stopped once the Bucks got a lead. Now again, hey, it's just a theory. I'm not one of those people on Twitter who re- relates conspiracy theories as facts. Maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene says there's an invisible... Uh, force field that moved the ball in the direction to where Mahomes was throwing complete passes. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it just seemed a little odd. It seemed like the refs were a little too involved. Uh, again, even the panel, Bill Cower, Boomer Esiason, pointing this out at halftime. Refs are just a little too much into this game. It changed the whole trajectory of everything. And it was a tough game to watch. 
I was expecting a great performance from two great quarterbacks of game down to the wire, but as John Elway and Joe Montana proved in the past, that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything when you have two good quarterbacks in a Super Bowl, two great quarterbacks, I should say. Only ever since Joe Montana didn't need referees to help him patent his lead. All I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, the commercials, uh, again, hit or miss for the most part. Um, Will Ferrell. God, I remember a time where he was funny. Uh, the Bud Light commercial with the Bud Light Legends was okay, I suppose. Uh, see, yeah, I love you, man. I kind of pop for that in those commercials. The Wayne's World. Cardi B did something I liked. The Wayne's World <laughs> commercial for Uber Eats. Oh, I'll love anything Wayne's World. I'm a little biased that way. Um, also, I enjoyed... Uh, the Paramount commercials of Beavis... I still find Beavis and Butthead funny. I look at it at different eyes than I did, obviously, as a teenager, but that is, it's the reason why I find it funny for a different reason now. But no, that was good. The Patrick Stewart one was pretty cool. Anything, anything he does is all right. The, the the State Front commercial with Drake and Paul Rudd and that, and the quarterbacks, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the It Wasn't Me commercial, again, I'm not, like, the Cheetos commercial with the, the song It Wasn't Me, featuring Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, and Shaggy! But, and again, I'm not even a big Ashton Kutcher fan. I don't necessarily hate him either, though. He's done some stuff I like, some stuff I don't like. But, uh, no, I, I, I found that very amusing. Tracy Morgan must have got a good payday, because he was in two commercials. Um, the Bruce Springsteen Jeep commercial, just epic. Only As only Bruce can make it. And the beauty is Bruce is a legit Jeep owner. So that, guy, that makes it even better. He's endorsing a product he likes and enjoys and uses, and he's also putting his words out there to send a, a really good message. Uh, there's a couple other commercials I really liked. Uh, oh, and also to Jim Nance and um, Tony Romo, don't tell jokes. You two are not funny. You're pretty fucking lame, actually, when you do that. You're good at what you do otherwise, but yeah. That, that was sad. Some of those jokes were just sad. The Weekend's Halftime Show, didn't really pay too much attention to it. But whatever, it's, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of him, but he didn't do bad, like, from what I saw, so. Good for Canadian getting in there for the Halftime Show. Brian Adams never got that chance. Makes me bitter. <laughs> nah, just kidding. But yeah, overall, it was just a big disappointment. Some of the commercials are really good. I mean, my team got nowhere near it, so whatever. Oh, the Jason Alexander commercial for Tide was pretty good, too. I will also admit that. And yeah, and speaking of social media uh, with this football game, Skip Bayless. My goodness gracious. If the guy blows Brady any further, Giselle might start getting jealous. I know Skip's probably trolling. It's kind of pathetic. <laughs> but anyway, moving forward. Oh, it's one more wrestling tidbit here, too. Okay, so I recently made a post, and actually it's going to tie in with my next issue on, on social media. Not even really an issue, just it happens to be a post I made on social media. So it came to my attention that Eric Bischoff recently referred to Bret Hart as boring. Now, yeah, okay, people think Bret's boring, whatever. They're entitled to their wrong opinion. But that being said... <laughs> I mean, here's what bothers me about Bischoff's whole quote-unquote narrative about that whole thing. So I made the post. Okay, I'll tell you what it said here. So Eric Bischoff recently called Bret Hart boring, is what I posted. 
Well, I don't know about you, but if I had the financial resources, I certainly wouldn't go out of my way to offer someone over two and a half million dollars a year to come to my wrestling company who I thought was boring. Then someone commented, and this is someone who only comments myself to try to argue with me, and even does this in person as well. Other, sometimes he's trying to make a point, other times he's just being a dick. Really not sure what he's trying for here. But he says, if you run a business, you would not pass on someone that you thought was boring when they clearly had a fan base. You know what? That's not entirely unfair, but here's the problem. I, I mentioned I replied to his comment saying, oh yes, he also mentioned in reference to Bret Hart that 95% of fans don't want to see a five-star match or performance or whatever. They want to see larger-than-life characters and stories. Well, Bret has been often referred to as one of the best storytellers of his time, maybe even of all time. So again, if he feels that way, why spend the money? Because I'm pretty sure that more than 5% of the audiences that have had from Bret Hart's first title win in 1992, we can even go further back, but it's, I'm just going like, to use this time frame as reference point. From Bret's first title win in October of 92, up until he left in November of 97, five years, were cheering for him and buying his merch. My point, and this is what I said, this is what I said, and this is what my whole thing comes down to. My point is, however, that every time Brett comes up, Bischoff seems to distort bits of reality for personal reasons. Translation to suit his narrative because he just simply doesn't like Brett. And it's only because, really, Brett doesn't like him. Now, granted, Brett tends to go a little far. He tends to go on these tangents that just sound like he's whining or whatever. But I will say this about Brett, whether I, you know, I'm agreeing with him or I'm saying enough, which I've done both. At least he's trying to launch from a fact. You know what I mean? He's trying to at least go off something that happened, not just to suit a narrative simply because he doesn't like the guy. Right or wrong, at least he's trying to do. Bischoff has done this more than once, especially regarding, regarding Brett. Conrad has called him out on it several times, and there are times where Bischoff's kind of all over the place. I hate Bischoff's podcast, by the way, and I like Bischoff. Like, I was a WCW fan, but I hate his podcast. He just seems to conveniently forget things at certain times. Hmm. Just boring. Yeah, your, your podcast. Yeah, I guess Brett's like your podcast, huh, Eric? But anyway, that's my point, though. He's just making up shit now to... Suit his whatever, suit his narrative. And here's another thing, too. I, uh, Someone who I know from Magnificent Championship Wrestling in Bramford, a uh, great guy named Phil, he points out, and I forgot about this, too, that I don't know if you've read Bischoff's book, which I did when it first came out, Controversy Creates Cash. He says several derogatory comments about Canada in general for no particular reason. I understood why WCW hardly ran any shows up here. So this speak probably where this is stemming from. Also, he probably doesn't want to publicly admit that one of his biggest signings ended up being a failure on his watch. That's my guess, anyway. And he's right. Bischoff, for whatever reason, doesn't like Canadians. So Bischoff, for that, fuck you as well. And also, yeah, because, well, you know what? WCW did tap into the international market once in a while, but not near as much as WWF did. And they just thought Canada was nothing. Until they came to Toronto. When they realized they had a large fan base in Toronto, they never tried to expand their fan base here in Canada, other than Toronto. And again, it's smart, at least, if you're going to start somewhere, start with Toronto, but they didn't try to go any further other than the New Blood Rising pay-per-view, which is out west. So, yeah. Bite me, Eric. But anyway, moving on. Also, Jim Cornette addresses this, too, and it's on YouTube. Check it out. 
He makes special outs sound ridiculous as well. Not that he has to try very hard. So there's that. So now I'm going to move on to the subject of social media as of late. Oh my god, social media has been stupid. Now, I'll, I'll start with a story that happened uh, about a, close to a month ago, and one that happened just actually the day I'm recording this. So what happened was that, okay, there's this guy on my Facebook. He's a nice guy. He's a good, he's a good guy. It, I'm going to say right away, it has nothing to do with him. It's just what happened on a post he'd made. Now, sadly, he's involved in the Hugs Over Masks group and their entitlement rallies. Now, I'll also say this about this whole thing. I didn't want to make it about this, but I'm going to point this out. Yes, I agree. It is frustrating that Ford is making some decisions that just don't seem to make sense that contradict other things he has done or said or decisions he has made. Ed the Sock made a really good point when he said that Ford lately especially the past several, like, well, not several, but the past few months, has been, like, trying to look busy to make it look like he's doing something. Like, it's when, like, when the boss is walking and you're doing nothing in your cubicle. Oh, quick, better look busy. The boss is here. This is what Ford is doing sometimes. Now, I'll admit, when this pandemic started, I thought he was handling it very well, thought he was doing a pretty good job, and I still, I will say that he's done a better job than he has. It's just the last few months have really been kind of making me rattle my head. People have a right to be frustrated. I'm not disputing that. But when these rallies happen, their sense of entitlement and little pissing and moaning. It is ridiculous. And in this like one post that the this young man made, and again, nothing to do with him as a person. It's just something he shared. It wasn't even like something he said necessarily. So I won't hold that against him, but and I think in, at the end of the day, he's trying to support his friends. That's just the type of guy he is. I understand that. But it just seems like... But this whole issue, this whole movement, which is more like a bowel movement because it's full of shit, it's, uh, it's, it's just frustrating. And so a friend of mine, she was, you know... Again, so these people promote hugs over masks, make it a message of peace and love and whatnot, when really they cyber-bully people online who don't think like they do. They And again, this happened to a friend of mine here. Now, she can defend herself, but it was a little annoying. Um... They're telling her to wake up, wake up, do this research. So they're sending links to doctors whose research has been refuted and laughed at, and even some of them have been um, condemned by their superiors and whatnot. And uh, quacks, pretty much. Yes, they've been proven to be quacks, and their research has been refuted on many occasions. And then they send links to YouTube videos and share these memes, these so-called facts. So by saying wake up, which I find funny because it's usually what they make fun of liberals for being woke or whatever. But, so wake up translation, watch the YouTube videos that tell us what we want to hear. And the research the memes that type these things out but don't really get them from any real facts that we want to hear. It tells us, basically they just, they just don't like hearing things they don't want to hear, that don't suit what they believe. That's more important than facts. But no, my friend was holding her own, so I'm kind of just chirping a little bit here and there, you know what I mean? I don't normally go to my way to troll people. But situations like this, I just find pathetic. And I was already in a weird mood that night, so I'm like, yeah, why not? These people were being terrible. Very nasty. 
So this one person, this one woman who I wasn't even directing anything at, just this is okay. So all this kind of ended. I I I wrote a little thing saying how I understand people's frustrations. I understand you know where they're coming from. But at the same time, though, they come off as very entitled and you know hypocritical people, preaching a message of peace when they're telling you how to think. And so the next day, the next morning, I wake up and see this one woman has replied saying. Oh, by the way, Bill Chase, uh, opinion... Oh, it's just what she said. Opinions are like penises. Stop trying to shove yours down our throats. To which my response to that is simply this. Yeah, okay, lady. Opinions are like penises, and you don't have one. That being said, however, it is 2021, so anything is possible. And, well, you are being a dick. So, hey, I could be wrong. People like this frustrate me. And the ridiculous notions and the things that they come up with. Again, not using anything resembling a fact. Or blatantly taking things out of context. And then you provide facts for them and they say, oh, that's just what they want you to think. I'm like, what the hell? Who's they? You know what? You think Bill Gates wants to inject you with a microchip? Sorry. You're really not that important. God. That was the one little adventure I had recently. One was actually just today. This guy I know, again, an acquaintance, not really a friend. I've known him for about seven years now. Never really had too many issues with him, but, you know, I've noticed in the past he likes to tell people how to live. Uh, really just, you know, doesn't know when to shut up sometimes. Very passive-aggressive. Now, I made an observation today on my Facebook, and again, it was an observation. It was more of a, more tied in with humor. It's nothing that bugs me. Okay, there's some things that say, oh, God, this chaps my ass. This is more like, oh, it makes me roll my eyes. It kind of makes me laugh a little. So here's what I said. Okay, now it's just a post. And this is not wasn't even targeting anyone specifically. It was more something I've seen for many years. It's just a thought that crossed my mind. I said, I find it hilarious. This is the post I made. I find it hilarious when people steal jokes from memes that they didn't create. And it'd be funny if it wasn't so sad. Now, what I mean by that is people... Okay, there's these memes on Facebook. People quote them as if to, to pass them off as their own jokes. It's a little phony, and it just makes me roll my eyes and kind of laugh. Like, oh, God, come on. It's a pet peeve. There you go. It's not even a big issue. It's just a pet peeve. And sometimes I like to share my pet peeves. Okay? So this guy, he comments on it saying, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it today. Doesn't make the joke less funny. I'd do it again if I wanted. So you know what? I decided to have a little fun here. I figure, okay, if he's going to do this, then, you know, I'm going to do something on my own here. And so I posted a, a, a gif of John Cena in his Hawaiian shirt with the Mellon Mountain Dew. By the way, that was a great Super Bowl commercial, too. And saying, no, just no. So what he says is this. I find it very hard to believe you've never taken a poster from a wrestling company and reposted it because you liked it. I don't see the difference here at all. It's completely different, you idiot. Jeez. I've shared wrestling posters mainly from my own company or shows that I'm booked on. But yes, there has been times in the past where I have shared from their actual Facebook page. Black Label Pro, they're a popular independent company in the United States. 
they've made some pretty awesome graphics and posters, and I've shared some of them. But I usually share them from their page or from a wrestler who, like, again, it's any company if I find their poster cool. I'll share it from anything if I think it looks cool, and I'll, but I will say, like, something like, oh, BLP, look at this cool poster from BLP, Black Label Pro, or any other company I share it from. If I'm not on their shows necessarily, I'll say that, though. I'm sharing it from their page for one thing. I'm not using their poster design for my for any of my promotions that uh, you know that I'm associated with. So no, it is completely different. So that's why I replied. Oh, you mean like sharing the actual meme? That was my point. Yes, I've shared wrestling posters, but again, primarily from shows that I'm booked on or shows that I'm running with my business partners or whatever. (laughs) But I don't pass them off as my own. That's the point I'm making here. I didn't even think much of it until I realized that he blocked me. I'm like, are you kidding? So I guess he forgot that he's still friends with me on my other Facebook account, so I went unchecked on that. And I knew, I just knew, because he does this sort of thing all the time, makes these passive-aggressive posts in regards to a situation. There were two. And I just, I laughed. So I, I you know what, I'm like, fuck it. So I, I, I flat-out commented, is it oversensitive much? And he's like, no, I just don't have patience. Like, I, I, I can't even remember everything he said because he blocked me again. So I, I was expecting that, obviously. But I didn't get, you know, I, it was something like, I just don't have patience for assholes, and he said something else like this. And again, even though he was directly calling me an asshole this time, it wasn't so passive. The rest of it was still somewhat passive. Oh, God. Just sad. But whatever. If that's what he's going to be, then fuck him. Man, I'm enjoying this Rickards Red Beer. <laughs> but, on to someone who, uh, you know, had, has left an amazing legacy behind. Christopher Plummer uh, passed away this past week. Deja 91. God, what a career. Film, stage, television. <laughs> He's even dominated for a Grammy. He's won an Oscar, a Golden Globe, an Emmy. A couple Emmys, actually. Tony Awards for playing Serrano de Bergerac and John Barrymore. I mean, this guy has played Sherlock Holmes, Sir John A. MacDonald, Leo Tolstoy, Mike Wallace, J. Paul Getty. He has played Hamlet, Commodus, Played Julius Caesar, Santa Claus. <laughs> He's been in a Star Trek movie, General Chang, a Star Trek. I love Star Trek Six, first Star Trek movie I ever saw in theaters. He's been in movies with Denzel Washington. Been in movies with Keanu Reeves, Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, Sophia Loren, Sigourney Weaver. Like Counter Strike, who can forget Counter Strike? Canadian cult favorite TV show, an espionage type show, lasted a few seasons. Just really good on that. The thing I liked about Christopher Plummer was that he had a way of adding presence to any given scene, but he never upstaged anyone because he wanted the scene to 
work for everyone involved the characters. He took his art very seriously, but also had a very kind of easy side to him where, you know, he, he, but he gave back a lot, especially to the stage industry. Because he truly loved the art of acting. Just a very class individual. He's been in critically acclaimed hits, Hollywood blockbusters. Sometimes both. You know, even like, you look at his early works, like again, he's in, okay, so obviously his film career took off with, uh, he's already pretty well known on stage at this point, but his film career took off with The Sound of Music as Captain George Von Trapp. But again, he did um, a lot of really good movies. He did a film called uh, Triple Cross. He did Waterloo. And the man who would be king, him and Sean Connery. That is, he played Rudyard Kipling. Great movie. Aces High. With him and Malcolm McDowell. Big hit in England. I love that movie. The Silent Partner. Which starred Elliot Gould. A good Canadian film. It was it's 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 a it's a it's a fun little movie. It's a heist film. It's really good. It's good. Like he was good. These matinee flicks too, as well. Just these Saturday afternoon things on TV that you're just killing time before you go with your friends in the evening. Dreamscape, dreamscape with him and again Dennis Quaid. And here's the thing: after he did the Sound of Music, and again he was acclaimed for that role, he was offered numerous leading man roles, but he either no, he his thing is no, I want co-billing. Or a supporting, or just a, a, another supporting role. He felt he could sink his teeth into those more. He felt they lent more substance to a movie. At least that was where his specialty came in. Uh, again, Dragnet. He plays a reverend in Dragnet, a great comedy with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. He's worked with Dan Aykroyd a few times actually. He was in uh, The Arrow, that TV movie. Again, he was in several acclaimed TV films. Uh, that's where most of his starring work actually came. He starred in a lot of TV movies. Again, like I said, he played a first ever Prime Minister, Sir John A. MacDonald. He's played Don Juan. <laughs> there's nothing that this guy just... It seems like there's nothing you can do. His Oscar-winning beginners. Again, really good. Voiceover work. He won an Emmy for his voiceover work as the narrator for the Madeline cartoons. He won an Emmy for... Um, what was it called again? Not, I know he was nominated for the Thornbirds. Again, he was really popular uh, with the Thornbirds miniseries back in 1984. Uh, the Money Changers. Money Changers, that was it. And, and even look at, like, this is a guy, again, he's at this point, uh, in the early 2000s, he's in his early 70s. This is where, like, his, like, was in a lot of these, like, box office, like, Hollywood blockbuster movies, like, A Beautiful Mile, I said Russell Crowe, really good at that. Um, you know, The Insider, even just a couple years before that, wasn't like a huge hit, but it was a very critically acclaimed movie. Again, alongside Russell Crowe and Al Pacino, plays Mike Wallace. 60 Minutes. <laughs> also, um, again, voiceover work. In Up. In uh, National Treasure, Syriana, Inside Man, Denzel Washington. He was also in Malcolm X in the early 90s. 
Again, even going back, okay, I jumped the gun a bit with the 2000s. But yeah, and you look at the 90s, the D- Dolores Claiborne. That's one of my favorite roles of his. Him and Kathy Bates, the scenes they had together are amazing. He And again, he plays a, like a, a, detective, a homicide detective who's good at his job and has a chip on his shoulder because this is the one person he could never arrest when he suspected her of a homicide years back. She's a suspect of a new one. And he finally wants to get her. So his justice is a little clouded. He has a chip on his shoulder. He's a flawed character, but it's an ambitious character, and he makes it work so well. And again, you know, you, you look at him, movies, even Must Love Dogs, where he plays Diane Lane's dad. He's good there. The Lake House with Keanu Reeves plays Keanu Reeves' dad. They, they have some good scenes together. And let's say you want to book Keanu Reeves as an actor. Okay, he's not going to be De Niro. But he is, again, good in the roles he plays because it doesn't require him to go too far beyond what his talents already are. And that's not a knock on him at all. He's made a great career for himself. But I'm just saying Christopher Plummer still worked with him in that scene, it seemed. And their scenes together were actually some of the best in the movie. There was only a couple, but you know what? They they worked. Like I said, what a career unbelievable career even just more recently knives out in 2019 a big hollywood hit supporting role yes but a significant one and one that he played very well again he was on screen for a long time but he still made it memorable he was a master of that he was never i can never recall a time christopher Plummer was boring so christopher Plummer, thank you for everything you have done on stage, the screen, and on the small screen as well on television. And even in video games like Skyrim. <laughs> UBS, he did a voiceover for this, uh, for the Elder Scrolls uh, 5, Skyrim. So there you go. So that's going to do it for today. Um, again, like I said, I don't like being negative all the time, but I just feel this very cathartic, and it just gets out there and just makes me move on. And then, that's the thing about doing these podcasts or doing my Facebook live cast, which I'm sure some of you have seen. It gets it out, and it leaves it. You know what I mean? It just... It's done. And again, even the people, even these people that annoy the hell out of me and are just outright ridiculous and act idiotic sometimes, hey, I still wish you all well. I don't wish you all any harm. Not going to make me any happier. So, why would I? Alright. I want to wish you all upcoming. Uh, There's Family Day weekends coming up. Wish you all a good long weekend next weekend. Uh, again, for you couples out there, wish you all happy Valentine's Day. So until next time, this is your friend of mine, Bill Chase, telling you all, who don't you dare miss it?